Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 underway and a big show today. Bobby Carpenter joins us in 20 minutes. We'll be discussing the college football playoff and the rankings. We'll get into that in a matter of seconds. Daniel Snyder is preparing to sell, sell the, the Washington Commanders. A big story today, plus a lot going on in the NFL, the World Series, and much more. Gentlemen, good afternoon. How about that? You know, I've always said, feels like a big show, but they're all big. Every show we do is a big show. Today is no different, but it is a little bit different because we got college football playoff rankings to discuss and the Dan Snyder story, which is still a little bit vague. In that it's uh, we're exploring options. We're not necessarily selling the entire team. Is it a minority stake? Is it something different? Sounds to me like the team is for sale. Yeah, I think when somebody steps forward with the price tag that the Washington Commanders are worth, um, he'll he'll perk up and be completely interested in what Bank of America lines up for him. But it's pretty amazing. It's it's kind of out of nowhere. And maybe these these things, I mean, Ursay didn't slow it down by any means, but these back-channel things, I think, are working faster than we thought. The stadium a, stuff. I have a theory. Remind me. Yes. Remind me in the show. I'll get to my theory on what has been going on with this. Um, but that's a, a damn big story. Massive. And to leave it to Daniel Snyder <clears throat> on a day where we've got the college football playoff rankings, we have World Series and a great performance by the Phillies. Man. And uh, plenty of NFL discussion coming off of a crazy trade deadline day. Leave it to Dan Snyder to sell the Washington. Yeah, you know, I, I read a good piece at the Athletic that it looked. It certainly looked like um, McCutcheon's McCullers. Now I get confused. I just lost it. I don't know who you're talking about. The starting so. pitcher last night for McCullers. the Astros, yeah, McCullers. Lance McCullers, was. Um, Tipping pitches, you know, it's a big deal made about Bryce Harper giving advice uh, after he hit his. But I read a great piece at The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal, one of the most respected uh, writers in the league, who said, you know, everything that he could uncover suggested that it wasn't the case and that he just was off um, and not locating his pitches well. The, the question that I have then is after you had a scheduled off day and a rain day, and you've got an incredibly good bullpen. Why aren't you getting him out of there if he's having tr whether he's tipping or not, whether he's tipping or just having trouble locating? After they hit a second home run and it's pretty clear they're honed in on him, why are you not going to that incredibly deep bullpen and giving yourself a chance to limit their scoring and stay in it? Yeah, I, I think that excuse is BS because that's not normal. You don't have a player who just went deep calling over a guy and saying, going through, watch for this, this is going to happen, and then he goes deep immediately. Like I, well, the second or the third McCullers home run. is in denial. 
The second or third home run, though, was a, a ball that was up in the zone that's a delicious pitch for no, anybody, was, whether it's tipped it or was not. At, it was, it was Bohm who hit it out uh, on that one that he, he was called over. My point is, McCullers can say whatever he wants. Philly would be wise not to admit that he's tipping pitches if they know that they've right. got a read on sure, him. Sure, sure. But it, it's BS. But my next question is, why that's is not, Dusty Baker leaving him in? Why is Dusty Baker leaving him in? Whether he's tipping or not, he's getting hammered. You've got a rested bullpen and a great bullpen. Get him out of there and keep it at 3 nothing or 4 nothing. Give yourself a chance to get back well, into was, the game. It was over. I mean, they didn't score a run. I know, but uh, you don't know you're but not going to score any more runs. 4 nothing. you could come back. Boom comes up in the second inning right after uh, uh, Bryce Harper hits a two-run bomb in the top bottom of the first. And then he's telling him, and he's going through this, and you could tell he's telling him what to look for based on what he's about to see. And then he goes deep. I mean, it's no... It's no accident. I just don't McCullers understand why say, they I just didn't. got whipped all he won. He did. He got whipped, but they know something. I don't understand why you don't get him out of there. Even a four nothing, there's a chance to come back, and you let him keep hitting him and keep hitting him. You're sacrificing a game. If you're sacrificing a game, you shouldn't be sacrificing game three after two days off. I thought you'd find it hilarious that of all people, the Astros oh, are tipping I pitches. I love it. <laughs> Getting bombed off of by Philly because they can't hide their pitches. A team that was stealing a, pitches quite an and exhibition. signaling their players about it. Quite an exhibition by Philly. Plenty of uh, reaction now to the college football playoff rankings. I've got some big takeaways here, but let's start at the top. Tennessee's number one in the college football playoff, the first installment of these rankings, followed by Ohio State, Georgia at three, and Clemson at four ahead of Michigan, and then there's Alabama ahead of TCU, who is seventh in the rankings, but not on the screen. College football playoff rankings, we, we'll have the entire top 25. But just on this picture alone, guys, what's the biggest headline and takeaway? Other than the Vols, who uh, two years ago, how many players transferred out? 35? Almost, almost, almost 30, I think, yeah. right around I there. I mean, there are several. And, and here they are, number one in the, in the country for the playoff rankings. There are several takeaways here. I mean... Ohio State being ahead of Georgia is is a little bit of a surprise based on resume. I mean, Ohio State, I think we all agree, has done less than Georgia. I, I disagree. I think Ohio State's done more. Well, you had Georgia, Georgia too yesterday. Yeah, because I thought Georgia would get the benefit of the doubt as a defending national champion. I'm, I'm trying to predict where they're what, number one in the country. What they'll do. Um, Georgia has not really done a lot other than that blowout win over Oregon, only because they relative to the SEC, they have a very weak schedule this season alone. That's normally not the case. Auburn is bad and just fired a coach. Um, they got Tennessee this weekend, so they're going to have a chance to take care of business. But that win over Oregon is really propping them up. Uh, Ohio State has a win over Notre Dame, which Notre Dame's gotten a lot better since early struggles. They've got the win over Penn State on the road. What's Georgia's big road win this year? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the difference. Well, the so I would say, at least to me, the win over Florida matters the exact same as Tennessee's win over Florida. Um, albeit it's in Jacksonville, neutral. Yeah. Same thing for the Oregon. But the committee is rewarding they, Oregon they have here. Two that's good, another big takeaway here. Oregon's eighth. They have They're two eighth. good wins away from home. Their home stadium. Right. In but, Atlanta but against not, Oregon, right. in Jacksonville against Florida. And they struggle against Missouri, and I think that keeps them third. I think the struggle against Missouri is something they're definitely looking well, at. Well, so the big takeaway here... They won here, at South Carolina 48-7. to 7. 
Uh, that's another road win, but I don't think South Carolina is very don't, good. So I don't think Georgia gets in with a loss at the end of the season without Starting winning the here. SEC. Yeah, based on being third. Just my big takeaway on the Bulldogs. Because if you look at their schedule versus Tennessee's, which is, of course, unbeaten, but in, in this hypothetical, they would get the win over Georgia, and then they would also be in the SEC championship game, uh, I guess, playing Alabama. But again, we, that's still to, to be determined. And they've that, already beaten Alabama. Yes. So that's the takeaway for me is Georgia, this is a must win if they're going to be in the playoff. And how can you week. like Clemson this much more than TCU? This much. Uh, that's to me the big takeaway. TCU has a valid grievance in this whole thing. They got screwed. Uh, they're they're not. I mean, they're in a really bad spot with Alabama with one loss ahead of them. Uh, them at seven. I I do not like that for TCU. Now, from the Tennessee Georgia perspective, I know Heather Dinich of ESPN said this on the show last night, watching it, and she's right. It's a must win for Georgia on Saturday. It's not as important for Tennessee. As crazy as that sounds, when you start at one, even with a loss at Georgia, they're probably going to drop to five or six. They're going to be in great chance. Even with a loss, guys, I think Tennessee has a better than 55%, 60% chance of making the college football playoff because they should easily win the last three games of the season, and they're going to be sitting there at 11-1. and And what the committee is telling you is Tennessee's resume is dynamite right now. Here's another thing that plays in Tennessee's favor. The biggest difference between the AP poll to the college football playoff ranking was LSU. LSU is 15th in the AP, 10th in the college football playoff. Tennessee destroyed LSU on the road. That is helping them a lot right now. And Boo Corrigan, who's the head of the committee, said as much, who's NC State's uh, athletic director, said the win- what, what buoys Tennessee at number one ahead of everyone else is the convincing win at LSU – and the win over Alabama. Those two wins should carry the Vols, even with a loss. Now, they could go and look terrible and get blown out, and that could change things at Georgia. But even a competitive loss to Georgia on the road, I think Tennessee's in a good spot to be a three or four seed when yep. all this is said and done as a one-loss team. Back to TCU here, just initial takeaway. So, again, they're not just behind Clemson. It's not like they're fifth. Right, right they're seventh. They're seventh. So they're behind Michigan and Bama, but they put Clemson ahead of both of those programs. And Boo Corrigan, of course, at NC State. And I find this convenient. And again, we shouldn't overreact to it. This is the first of a handful of college football playoff rankings. But we get an idea of what they're thinking here. Um, Corrigan is saying that Clemson, even though they're, what, 65th or 66th in the country in offensive yards, and defensively, they give up. They have the, like the 25th or 26th defense uh, in yards per play. He would, he, he would say, well, they've got three top 25 wins based on our rankings. Well, those three top 25 wins are Syracuse, Wake Forest, and NC State that are ranked 20th, 21st, and 22nd. And they're comparing that to their group of 25 here against TCU. Almost lost at home to Syracuse. Keep that in mind, too. Right. It's not like it's a blowout win over but Syracuse. they're clearly valuing the top 25 close victories more than they are uh, the offensive stats and the, the razzle-dazzle and the, the overtime victory against Oklahoma State for TCU. Because they're, they're telling us that based on where they have 
the frogs compared not just to the tigers but the wolverines and the crimson tide and i don't hate crimson i don't hate the crimson tide being at six personally because to me if they you know if they take care of business they're going to get in and i believe we said that yesterday but they they run the table here they're in but tcu that's a bit different because to me the key is oregon Oregon is extremely valued right now. LSU, a two-loss LSU team, 10th in these rankings. Consider that where they're hosting Alabama this week. Now, if they go to the SEC championship, they're not getting in with those two losses that they have. But TCU unbeaten is two spots ahead of them. Yeah, let, let me make the case for TCU here. And, and this is what this is my biggest gripe with this whole this whole situation. I don't have a big problem. With the rankings, we can sit and and argue about small things like Ohio State or Georgia, two or three, and all of that. But TCU versus Michigan, just as an example, okay? TCU won at Kansas when they were undefeated and healthy, in a in a really good team. Now that's changed a bit because Kansas lost their quarterback, and they look a little bit different now, right? They destroyed Oklahoma fifty five twenty four when they were still a top twenty team when Oklahoma was coming off a national television, big noon kickoff, evisceration at Nebraska. Destroyed them. Kansas State, who just won 48 to nothing over Oklahoma State. TCU beat them. They also, by the way, beat Oklahoma State, who's a top 10 team at the time, 43 to 40 in two overtimes. Here's Michigan's resume. They beat Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland, at Iowa, at Indiana, they won a nice game against Penn State at home, 41 to 17. Great win in dominating fashion. That's it. They've done nothing else against anyone that's relevant at all. And the value One there. Win. I just went through multiple top 20 wins yep. for TCU. Explain to me how Michigan deserves a spot ahead of TCU. So, based okay. on, and bo- both teams also have not lost a game, both undefeated. So Michigan is going to be able to play coming up. They're going to have Illinois, 16th, I believe, in this, right? Yes, 16th, and then Ohio State. So they get to boost their resume there. They, they know where they stand. They're in a good spot. Again, they've got Ohio State head-to-head. But see, that, that's we, what... we know Tennessee and Georgia, one of them is dropping out of the, the top four. Um, but see, this is what bothers me about Michigan. Put them behind TCU now. Let them if win their way like in they're if a they better beat Ohio team, State. Absolutely. Knowing they're going to have... A huge opportunity at the end of the season, so, Thanksgiving weekend, Ohio State, and a top 20 opportunity. By the way, TCU still got great win chances out there. Baylor, they have the championship at Texas, Texas I, Tech. I still think the resume itself will be able to play out for them, even though, and I, I, I don't, I, I'm not disagreeing with you here, that last year, Michigan, in the first college football playoff rankings, they were seventh. And Cincinnati was sixth. To me, TCU, while better, uh, just perception-wise, today than Cincinnati was last year based on the schedule, they are a spot behind, and they've got more ground to make up here. But at least they know, in, in the grand scheme of things here, the teams in front of them are basically playing each other at some point. So two get knocked out, conceivably, yeah. but, that they but could so, get in so front of it, if they so take care which, of their own business. So which two? So if Tennessee loses... They're number one. They're not falling All past out. five or six. They're not jumping Tennessee this week. And, you know, if it's Georgia, I think 
an unbeaten TCU at the end of the road can jump them personally. But uh, we get a we get a visual here of how the committee is negotiating and debating this playoff. So TCU's remaining teams, Texas is twenty four, and they're the three loss. They're the one three loss team in the top twenty five by the committee's ranking. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was a win in over double overtime, forty three to forty. But they might get them again in a championship game, or is that no? Dead? Probably not. It, it's it's trending towards TCU, Kansas State in the Big Twelve championship game. Which would be a rematch, 13. by the way, of TCU, a game they've already won against Kansas yeah. State. But you get them again, and they're up there, right? 13? So here's the, here's the real scenario. Could, yeah. I mean, again, they still have a tough schedule left. It's at Texas. They get Baylor, I think, on the road also, Texas Tech, and then a possible Big 12 championship. The, the real winner for me two in this top 25. is Oregon. Oregon, who was boat raced against Georgia. Georgia's third, they're eighth. I mean, the gap there has closed, not widened. And Oregon still has, um, they've got two, what should be layup games for them. And then they have Utah, and then they visit Oregon State. And Utah in these rankings, they're also valued, despite the loss in week one and in what they've done since. So I, I think Oregon here, they're, they're eighth or one spot behind unbeaten TCU. And if you have a, a, you know, a little bit of chaos at the end, that's where the real debate comes in. Yeah, because Utah, the committee really values Oregon, even though we saw Oregon against the number three team in their rankings. Utah fourteenth, Oregon State twenty third, two top twenty five teams in the, these rankings. You mentioned Texas, the three loss team in the top twenty five. They basically swapped with Liberty. Liberty's the one that's out. That's in the AP top twenty five. That was twenty three or twenty four. They moved Texas in into that spot. And then you got Tulane as the group of five representative right now in a in a New Year's six bowl game as the and, highest ranked team. So and here's the second question. Where does Alabama go if they go down to Baton Rouge and take care of business by multiple possessions? The Tigers are tenth. Think about that. Well, here's what's gonna blow over under was seven wins. Here's for what's them. gonna blow people's minds. And again, I, I don't it's fun to talk about projections and the rest of the schedule and, oh, they're going to have a chance to do this, this, and this. And I understand all that, but we have to go with what we've seen. So every week can be a new debate on what we've seen so far this season. That's why I'm telling you TCU got screwed in this deal because they've done a lot more than Michigan. Uh, they need to be ahead of them right now. Alabama is getting the Alabama benefit of the doubt. They are. There's no way around it. They don't have great wins. Alabama doesn't. What the committee is telling you is a loss to Tennessee, who was not in the top 25 preseason, is what is keeping Alabama up so high right now because Tennessee has been so insanely good this year. And I agree with that on Tennessee, but I don't agree with Alabama. But ahead, I, don't, I don't think they care of, about the preseason top I don't 25. agree with Alabama ahead of unbeaten TCU. I just don't. They, they don't need to be ahead of them. And neither does Michigan. And Clemson, for that matter, probably shouldn't be ahead of Michigan. So I do have issues with all of this, but we can't look at it from, well, they're going to have a chance to do this, this, and this. We have to look at it through the lens of what have they done right now? And that's all we can say about well, well, these no, teams. No, we can say more because we're looking at it through the lens of what they're valuing. So if Alabama beats number 10 in their initial rankings, LSU, that should 
move them up. Well, here's here's what's going to blow people's minds. They're at, if they lose, they're oh, dumb. of course. I mean, that's the right. second loss. Here's what's going to blow people's minds, and this is this is what will happen if this happens. If Tennessee loses to Georgia on Saturday as an eight and a half point underdog, and Alabama goes to LSU and wins as a favorite, mm-hmm. Alabama will be ranked ahead of Tennessee in next week's rankings, and then people are going to say, "Wait a minute, did those two teams play?" On the field? Well, we literally saw that last and, year and in the first who, college football who won playoff the game? race. Michigan was ahead of Michigan State, even though we saw the head-to-head literally weeks before. Yeah, and here's the other thing that we'll point to. Hey, what was Tennessee's score when they went to Baton Rouge? Beat that, Alabama. Yep. That's your, that's your measuring well, stick. You need to beat t- them worse than Tennessee did. Good luck in doing that. If you want to have any argument whatsoever, you need to win about 56-3. to three. In this game, and then you'll come back, and Tennessee fans can just say, "Yeah, well, they can't be. They look a lot better right now. They can't be ahead of Tennessee. They will be. Mark my word. It's stupid. They will move up, and Tennessee will go. They'll probably be fifth, and Tennessee might be sixth. But you know, this again, you know my hashtag here. It's not if you lose, it's how you lose. Alabama lost on a missed field goal, and then a, a kick at the end. Classic game. Bryce Young's best game. And depending on what happens Saturday in, in Athens, they will be compared based on how they lost, not who they lost to. It'll be that will be the comparison. And I just think that's that's a shame because they if you're gonna look at it, it says in their protocol for what they're looking at, you're looking at common opponents and outcomes. Yep. So you can't just say, well, let's say Georgia wins by 17. Well, Tennessee lost by 17 to Georgia. And Bama won by 14 on the road at LSU. So they're ranked ahead. Okay, what did Tennessee do at LSU in a game played in the same venue? Then tell me that score, too. All I'm saying is you got to look at all of it. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to do and then rank these teams based off of it. It's an inexact science. I'm just my only gripe with this whole thing, my big gripe, I think they did a pretty good job everywhere else, is TCU. By one spot. Yeah, if, if I'm going to sit and carry the shield for someone, it's the TCU Horn Frogs today. Let's find they out. They have a reason to be upset. What does Bobby Carpenter uh, think about the initial college football playoff rankings, and where would he have some adjustments to this? That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Always glad for Wednesdays with Bobby Carpenter. Oh, yes. College football contributor and, of course, host on SiriusXM with Jacob Hester. Carp 3 on Twitter. Bobby, how are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, how have you been doing? We got a great slate of matchups here this week coming oh, yeah. off of Halloween. So I'm sure your kids are all sugared up and... Trying to get pre-diabetic this week, so it should be a fun time. (laughs) Um, Your initial takeaway from the first college football playoff rankings that were released, we went through it in the first segment, but um, biggest gripe, and what do you think about Tennessee being number one and Georgia is at three? 
Well, based upon how the committee has their teams ranked, you would say Tennessee has the two best wins of anybody in college football. I didn't anticipate LSU being ranked that high. Um, they've played pretty good football. Brian Kelly's done a great job since they lost to Florida State earlier in the in the year. They've done, they did a good job beating up on Ole Miss, who the committee likes. So there's their two wins, and they're pretty impressive. Now, you know, obviously, Tennessee's got some defensive issues and some things that they've got to get figured out. But offensively, I mean, they're as good as it gets in college football. So I, I, I wasn't surprised. I thought it could either be them. I thought it could be Georgia. I didn't think it'd be Ohio State. If I thought they put Tennessee up, I thought they'd put Georgia at two. Um, you know, but Georgia's done a good job this year. And, you know, it's preliminary rankings. And I don't think at the top spots that's going to mean a whole lot eventually is this is all going to get played out there. What I do think is interesting is Clemson sitting at four. Because Clemson hasn't been overly impressive this year. Uh, they've won games. They've been a mess offensively at times. They looked like they were getting it back together. And then all of a sudden, poof, you know, then they have some meltdowns against uh, Syracuse and they have to start bringing in Klubnik and different things like that. So, and DJ looked like he had regressed some. So they obviously have some offensive issues they're going to have to get remedied. Um, and then putting them over Michigan, which I think Michigan, if you were to watch the games this year, Michigan hasn't played as good a competition on a whole, but they've, they've been a pretty dominant team. And they may not have the diversity of on offense, but they are still very efficient, very effective at what they do. So I was kind of amazed, uh, impressed that they put that, or I would say shocked, but a little surprised that they put them over the top there. But I think a little bit may have been the fact that Michigan – didn't even try to schedule anybody in their non-conference. And if you try to schedule good teams, and like Notre Dame this year has kind of faltered, although they got a nice win over Syracuse, um, you can falter. But at least if you're trying to schedule and schedule up, you know, you're doing the best you can. Like Notre Dame or uh, Michigan really didn't make an effort to do that. So you had that right there. And the fact that TCU is sitting behind Alabama when you know, Alabama doesn't necessarily have any of those signature wins yet. You know, they've got some the, the meat of their schedule here coming on the back end, and they lost to Tennessee, who's a good team, you know, the number one team in the committee's eyes. Uh, but the fact that that was that Alabama's sitting there, they're giving a lot of deference to Nick Saban and what they've done in the past, same as Clemson. And I get that, um, but it'll be interesting to see if Clemson should or should um, Bama drop another one, how they'll ultimately be viewed then by the committee if they're a two loss team. And Bobby, I know you're a huge fan of Mark Stoops and the Kentucky program that he's built. Uh, they had 205 yards of offense against yeah. Tennessee. Uh, Will Levis had 98 yards passing. Do we feel a little bit different about Tennessee's defensive capabilities after that game, or is that a, a one-time fluke in your eyes? It's a defense that's been great against the run and terrible against the pass because teams are also forced to pass yardage-wise because they're down so much to Tennessee during the game. So... I do feel like it's a defense that may be a little bit underrated when you really look behind the numbers with some of those passing yards. They also lead the nation in not giving up plays over 40 yards this season. So did that change your mind at all about Tennessee's defense and what they were able to do against Kentucky? Um, maybe, a, maybe a little bit. Uh, I think it did. Because like you said, I don't put a ton of stock into Tennessee's pass defense. I mean, if they were last in college football, that'd be one thing. But when you score a lot of points, people throw the ball a lot more on you. I mean, that's just how the game works. You're in a chase game. I was surprised that Kentucky wasn't able to keep that thing close. I give a ton of credit to Josh Heupel, what they were able to do. I thought Tennessee or the Kentucky defense would be able to slow them down some. They'd be able to run the football, shorten the game. And none of those things really materialized. So, and that, I guess, would have been the third win. And with that, um, you know, for Tennessee, but that that dropped Kentucky. You know, they're completely out of the rankings, if I'm not mistaken. So 
Uh, it's a little bit disappointing to see there. I thought Kentucky was further along and a lot closer to Tennessee, but obviously uh, kudos to Tennessee for coming in there and being able to you know, really run the football well, throw it well, and play a good defensive game and probably the best defensive game they played thus far this year. Bobby Carpenter with us on Outkick 360. What is your initial impression and thought on the matchup between Tennessee and Georgia, between the hedges in Athens, and uh, just the setting where you've got the Heisman favorite right now, at least tied with C.J. Stroud in Vegas, is, is Hendon Hooker. And then you have Stetson Bennett, who's coming off of the national championship win, 60-year senior. Uh, one guy's 25, the other's 24. Both have solid offenses, albeit they go about it different ways. Um, what's the difference here? What, what does this game come down to? Um, well, to me, I think it ultimately comes down to uh, – can Georgia slow the game down enough? Because I don't think they fully want to get into a chase game. They score a lot of points, but that Georgia front seven, really good. They can get after the passer. We all know that. Back end, pretty good, but I think if you're going to look at their defense, that's probably where they're the weakest, and weakest is a relative term. Um, this One interesting note, I mean, Tennessee's you know, in big wins, they've come at home. So now they're going to have to go on the road, and going down to Georgia, that's a whole nother beast. You're going to play You're much better at home. Now, Hendon Hooker is a veteran player. He's the second youngest quarterback in the SEC, only to Stetson Bennett. So these are two experienced guys going back and forth. I don't think there'll be a knockout blow delivered. But what's curious to me is the spread in Vegas is, I think, eight, eight and a half, somewhere in there, nine. And that typically leads you to believe that it's going to be a blowout by you know the, the team that's favored, in this case, Georgia. You know, similar situation to Alabama. It was just at home. So this will be a big test for Tennessee to see how they can manage their emotions, how they're going to be able to run that offense. And if the, Georgia doesn't give up the big plays, because Tennessee, man, they score fast, they gobble up yards. If you can force them to drive and get them in the red zone, I think that's where you might be able to take advantage a little bit. You have to stop the run, but they love to get vertical on you. And when you get in the red zone, it's a compressed field. You don't have the ability to take those shots and the windows will be tighter. So that'll really test Hendon Hooker and those receivers to catch contested balls. I saw that you found the, both found the behavior of the Michigan state kids reprehensible and think that they need to, to manage the flow in the tunnel better. I, I'm out on the tunnel talk. Like if a kid happens to be walking in the tunnel with the other guys, you're allowed to act like a civilized human being or I know a place where they could put you where there are bars that keep you separate from other other people where it'll prevent you from beating him up. What what explain to me why tunnel management is an important thing going on here? Because it's it's the only place Paul where this exists well, in college fine, football. But, uh, so just be civil. You have to walk by but, another person. But here's the thing though, when you're putting people in position to fail. The kid from Michigan's running up their back, pushing on guys I'm not endorsing the behavior at all. Those guys should be punished, and I think they're going to be in an appropriate manner. But why put people in situations to fail? They have protocols in place where you don't let two teams in the tunnel for a reason. And frankly, over the last couple of seasons, this has begun to get worse. I mean, I was in that tunnel. I know what it's like, but it's gotten worse. And I think that they've tacitly kind of endorsed it by not putting a stop to it. And I don't think they address it fully with their own players. And so I'm not like, and here's the thing, two things can be true. Oh, I understand. What Michigan State's players did is completely wrong. You're swinging a helmet at a guy without a helmet on. It's ridiculous. And the fact that none of the Michigan players, Michigan State players stepped up to stop it is also concerning to me. But this is a unique situation. And you have people that are running with their emotions hot. 
and it's a bad, it, it, it's, there's stuff that goes on pregame. James Franklin talked about it. It was the case last year in Ohio State, Michigan. Like, you're going to put someone in a position to fail. And we can apologize. If he would have gotten hit and gotten killed, okay, the Michigan parents, Jim Harbaugh, can say he's done everything he can to protect them, but he hasn't. He hasn't because you don't let him up there and put people in a bad situation. And like I said, that doesn't absolve the players who are doing that of any of the wrongdoing. They were wholly wrong, and there's no reason why anyone should act like that after a football game or any time. But you put it, it's a very tight window, man. It's not a big tunnel. It's not like an NFL tunnel. It's not the it's in people are compressed. And the other thing is too, you need you need independent people in there. You need the Big Ten, you need security guards, whatever it is, because the coaches, they're 40 and 50 year old men who have to time on both sides, forget that they're not players anymore. And you know, Jacob Hester told me a story that this happened, a, a mild situation, the Peach Bowl, they're at LSU. Um, they're playing Miami, Dwayne Bowen, one of the guy, a guy he either played against or played with in high school, were messing around and guys saw it. They come sprinting over to the tunnel where they were walking up to kind of get involved, both sides. He's like, there's a state highway patrol woman there. She tells them to stop. Guys keep walking. She cracks her taser twice and everybody disperses. Like you got to sit there and tell these guys that you can't act like idiots. And if you are, I'm going to tase you. I'm going to take you to the ground. It's not going to be any questions. You stay out of here until they enter. And get your butt up in there quickly. Don't be me meandering and antagonizing anything and just act like adults. But the problem is all of these kids, Paul, have been entitled their entire life. Now they've been told they're great. They've never been really pushed back on. And so now you have kids that lack discipline at all programs simply due to the fact that none of them are raised with it because we live in a society now where you're not allowed to punish kids. And this is the problems that you get when people can't manage their emotions as they're young adults and turning 21, 22 years old. So the Ohio State-Penn State game, Bobby, is an interesting one to me because I feel like it's a game where there's no definitive conclusion at the end of it. You can feel really good about certain things with both teams and, and pretty bad about certain parts of the game with both teams. Uh, Penn State was ahead with nine minutes left in this game. Then they were down 20 all of a sudden. So any chance of any moral victory for James Franklin and Penn State went out the window with that explosion from Ohio State in this game. But Ohio State looked pretty pedestrian at times in this game as well until the very end. So what's your number one takeaway watching these two teams play on Saturday? Um, I think Ohio State does needs to do a better job of controlling the tempo of the game. Uh, they were up early, and it seemed like they were going to start pulling away. You miss a tackle, you give up a long run. Then you can't really run the football, so you have to start going to bubble screens. And it takes you a little bit to get your offense going. And against Penn State, you're okay doing that because there's a talent gap there that you can overwhelm people just given enough time. But Ohio State's going to have to continue to work on the run game. Um, you know, there was a weird sequence where Penn State, you know, jumped off sides and Ohio State, you know, covered the snapper and they ended up going for it, they ended up getting that go ahead score. And, um, you know, kudos to Penn State. They played tough. It, to me, it was a little bit of an indifferent game where, Okay, you won and you almost covered the number. And like you said, you don't really feel good about it. There's some plays you think, man, those are great plays. But as far as playing a complete and total perfect game, like that's and that's what we're basically judging all of these teams off of, especially near the top of the playoff rankings, is how good that's Penn State. But is that good enough to beat Georgia? Is it good enough to beat Tennessee? You know, can you play with you know Michigan like that? And those are the questions that you have to ask yourself. And as far as that, I think that's where you might come away wanting something. And there's a little bit of lacking there. So that's the thing they got to work on 
controlling the tempo, running the football, and finding a way to get timely stops earlier in the game. You think LSU gets Alabama this week? Man, I know Brian Kelly would love to be able to get Nick Saban. I, I tell you, I think that that, that 12 championship game with Notre Dame still haunts him. Brian Kelly's a good coach, and I think he probably felt, and this is part of the reason he went to LSU, if I just have better players and more talent, I can go win a national title. Um, with the way that Jalen Daniels is playing, I mean, their offense is humming. They're making good decisions. Defense is getting better. I mean, they pounded the ball all over um, Ole Miss. I think there's a good chance of it. If they find a way to get some pressure um, uh, on Bryce Young, I would not be shocked to see LSU win. And I always say, remember this in college football, location makes a difference. And I believe this one is going to be played in Baton Rouge. So that should Mm -hmm. tip a little bit, obviously, towards the Tigers. I think this will be a one-possession game in the fourth. And uh, they're going to have to execute down the stretch if you're Alabama to beat them because they're not going to give it away. Bobby, every undefeated or one-loss team will be cheering like hell for Notre Dame on Saturday night against Clemson at home. What kind of chance do you give the Irish, who's been playing better as of late, to get a huge win? Marcus Freeman's biggest win by far would be if he could win at home against Clemson on Saturday night. I mean, you look at Notre Dame's season, they got losses to Marshall. They've got losses to Stanford at home. You know, they beat North Carolina, who's... Seven and one soundly on the road. They beat a BYU team that was playing really well at the time. They beat Syracuse on the road. Like trying to figure out what Notre Dame team you're going to get is going to be interesting. It's at home. I don't think this this uh, Clemson team can score a lot of points. And so if you can beat them up up front, which I think Notre Dame's D line is good, their problem is they're going to have to find a way to manufacture points. They're going to need some turnovers, and if they can't get that. That's where they're probably going to struggle. But I think they've got a good shot at being able to win this. The line's only like three and a half, which you start thinking about. I mean, that's, that is a really tight line for the number four ranked team in the country going to an unranked uh, Notre Dame. Bobby Carpenter joins us each Wednesday. You can follow him on Twitter at BCarp3. You can check out his show on SiriusXM Channel 84. Appreciate you, man, as always. And, man, we got a fun college football weekend ahead. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, Bobby. There he is. There's Bobby Carpenter. Uh, Love having him on each week. Uh, Great friend of the show. Appreciate everything he does. Um, Also, every Wednesday, primary complaint. We air our grievances. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up, we've got complete headlines and more reaction to the college football playoff. Plus, Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders, they've they've hired Bank of America. They're for sale. Believe it or not, we'll dive into that. It's happening. Plus, plenty of headlines across the NFL and reaction to the trade deadline. We've got our winners, losers, and more. Uh, Right now, though, every Wednesday at this time, it's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. 
You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my complaint this week is simple. Uh, There's a discrepancy with how we judge quarterback play from college to pro, and it's not just on style and system. It's with the overall stats. For whatever reason, in college, we still count sacks against their rushing yards and not passing yards. Makes no sense to me. If you're sacked, you're attempting a pass, not a rush. That's my primary complaint. Yeah, it's a big problem. It's uh, one where college truly needs to change. Uh, Here's something that needs to change, and it's my primary complaint. I'm no expert on supply chain management and food costs and everything else. I know that food costs a lot more money than it used to. That's what I know. When I go to the restaurant or go to a grocery store, that's certainly the case right now. Um, Here's what we need, though. Just like Jimmy Johnson had the NFL trade gauge of what was a pick worth and what was a player worth and rounds and everything else, we need some sort of universal measurement for how much of a condiment you get when you ask for one at a restaurant. Here's an example. Most places are stingy with things like ranch dressing or a sauce. And that's fine. If it's expensive to them, I'll pay extra for it. But when I go get pizza on Sunday night for the family and I ask for crushed red pepper after you offer up crushed red pepper and you give me 47 packets of crushed red pepper, I don't know what the hell to do with it. I can't carry it anywhere. I then have to ask for a bag for all the crushed red pepper that you gave me. It's as if you're just trying to get rid of all the excess crushed red pepper you have in your restaurant. We need maybe four, maybe two even would be fine. Let's get a universal gauge for how much. The number's not 47. That I know, and that's my primary complaint. My primary complaint is uh, Zyaflex. Yeah, it's uncomfortable for us to talk about Peyronie's disease. It's the... uh too much of a curvature of the penis. But um, I'm not here to talk about Peyronie's disease. I'm here to talk about the medicine for Peyronie's disease, Zyaflex. Because in the commercial for Zyaflex, it says, um, don't take if you're allergic to any of the ingredients. <laughs> I mean, really? If I'm allergic to the ingredients in the medication, I shouldn't take the medication? I, I think that kind of speaks for itself. Also, What if I don't know if I'm allergic to any of the ingredients because I've never had any of the ingredients because I've never dealt with my Peyronie's disease before? This is a a relatively new outbreak of Peyronie's disease, (laughs) apparently, for how much they're advertising Zyaflex. I have never heard of a, I guess that's the the litigious society of of what we're living in where they have to name that you should not take something with your, uh, that you're allergic to. It's it's a legal uh, disclaimer. Have this Yeehaw beer, but not if you're allergic to any of the ingredients. It's probably on the can. For medication, I'm sure there's some legal reason they're doing that. It's, it's It's a bizarre. Also, sorry about your problem. Yeah. (laughs) This, this, I, I I wonder if the commercials that I'm seeing, I don't think so because I'm watching carrots on the commercial. I know that. Yes. I'm watching. I haven't seen this yet. Baseball on TBS on my iPad. And there were like only three commercials. It was like the SEC network. It, much, it just means more. There were only like three commercials on the whole thing. And this Peroni's medication was one of them. We could have a in complete, it's football season, so we won't do it now, but a complete separate hour on the amount of inappropriate commercials oh. that air during things that should be appropriate for people Kids. of all ages. The amount of just horrifying 
movie trailers during the month of October that will air right after they leave the Manning cast during a Monday Night Football game is insane to me. Some of the diseases that are uh, advertised and things they show in the commercial for these diseases. Well, the amount of ED Like talk. HIV ads. I mean, I have to tell my kids to leave the room every time for one of these pop on. Not for programs, I get for commercials. So many, I get so many uh, questions. It's, it's, it's insane. It's another topic. But J-Lo can't perform but Paul, the Super Bowl. But Paul, I have seen I have seen that. Also, last night I started Dope Sick. Which you, uh, so I, I was thinking it. about legal disclaimers and how they never talked or said the word Oxycontin in their PSA for pain management mm. when all this started about it being a little bit more addictive than they let on. That's a great show. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm we're one and a half episodes in and I'm I'm hooked. I also on your on your thing about sack yardage. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the NFL too, in the stat book, like Malik Willis was six for ten. Right. But then when you go to add up, like if you add up total plays and you add up the rushes and the 10 pass attempts, there's still three plays missing because you have to go find the sacks. I feel like the sacks should count as dropbacks. They count against the passing yardage, but they don't count as dropbacks. So I would go that far in the NFL and add them to the dropbacks. There's 13 dropbacks, 10 pass attempts, and six pass completions. I just, I mean, to me... And I understand, like, sometimes it can be a design run where you can also throw it. I mean, Taysom Hill exists. Yes. But 95% of the time, if it counts as a sack, it's a, a pass attempt. Or it's going to be. If you're on Zyflex, you have our sympathies, and we hope things straighten out for you. <laughs> Daniel Snyder has hired Bank of America to explore the potential sell of the Washington Commanders. Well, Chime in on that. Let's get back to the college football playoff and more on Outkick 360.